As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and tonight I'm here with some of my favorite people on the planet. Denise Renner, Joel Renner, and Maxime Masnikov. And we're so glad to be with you. And Jesus is with us. He said, where two or three of you are gathered together, there am I in the midst. And guys, Jesus never said we had to be on the same, in the same room. You know, today, so many people do meetings by Zoom and by Skype and online. Jesus said, you just had to be together. And Jesus is with us because we're together right now. He's here. He's there. And tonight we're going to talk about his miraculous birth 2,000 years ago. It's going to be so good. And I want you to have the whole study guide that is free. It is enormous. It's 124 pages. It's like a whole book for free. All you have to do is go to renner.org to download it. It is yours right now if you'll just go there and take it. Joel? And I want to tell you that if you want to know what we're going to talk about in the future, in the next home groups, you can download the study guide tonight and see all of it. That's right. But there's a series that goes with it called Christmas, the rest of the story. There is so much to this story. Maxime just said something very funny to me just before we started home group. Maxime, say it again. Oh, well, uh, when, when we do this home groups, I look at Pastor Rick, and I've been with him for more than 15 years. And, of course, every Christmas we talk about this Christmas story. And I heard you saying this story many, many times. And you probably said the story, I don't know, 50 times, I don't know, 80 times, 100 times. And every time you say it, you get excited. Your eyes are burning. You get so excited. There's real joy in you. How do you do it? Because I think it is the most amazing story ever told. It is so amazing. It's filled with intrigue. I mean, if you look at the whole story, and it's all in this series, it involves Herod, Cleopatra, Mark Antony, a star. It includes magi from the east, treasures, Egypt, murder. It's amazing. It is just it. amazing, and I love to tell it. Only God himself could write such a story. Mm -hmm. Only God. And, you know, Denise and I always... When our sons were younger, and even today, we would gather our family, wouldn't we, Denise, around the Christmas tree. And before we would ever open a gift, first we would open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, then to Matthew chapter 2. We would read the whole Christmas story. And Denise and I would go through all of these things. This whole teaching began with our sons. And Denise and I would read it, and then we would ask all three boys to comment, what does this mean? What does that mean? It just became a family event. And guess what? Now, years and years and years later, our sons all have their own kids. And when we all get together to celebrate Christmas, which, by the way, is pretty interesting for us because we never know which one we're supposed to celebrate. We have December 25th. Then we have January 7th. We have two Christmases, Eastern and Western. And usually we don't celebrate on either one of them. Isn't that the truth, Denise? We usually end up just picking a day. But when we all come together, we celebrate and we begin the same way we always did with our kids. Before a gift is ever opened, we go through the whole Christmas story. And Denise and I don't tell the story. The grandkids now tell the story. They all know all of these details as if they were teaching it themselves. They've heard it and heard it and they love it. Joel? 
The reason we don't celebrate on 25th, December 25th, usually, it's usually a weekend around December 25th. But we like to celebrate before New Year's because here in Russia, New Year's is a big deal. And usually people give all their gifts on New Year's, not on Christmas Day, which here is January 7th. But we like to acknowledge God before the New Year's. And we usually do it the weekend before or after, around December 25th. And we had a blast. We really do. As a family, I don't think we get together enough. I wish we get together more. So Christmas for us is really special. And there's another reason we don't do it on December 25th. Because in Russia, that's just a work day. Mm -hmm. That is not a holiday. And so when you say you're going to celebrate Christmas on January 25th here, people kind of look at you like, have you forgotten? Christmas is on January 7th. So Denise really feels fond about December 25th. So she always says, Ricky, we have to do something on December 25th. The truth is our kids don't want to. Our kids did not grow up celebrating Christmas on December 25th. They celebrate January 7th. So on December 25th, Denise is always saying, look, look for something to do. One year, you know, we did on Christmas. Denise and I, by ourselves, went to the circus. And honey, it was a blast, wasn't it? Well, it was. We saw something pretty phenomenal that day. Tell them. We saw these bears on ice skates. Like grizzly bears. Yes. Well, Russian black brown bears wearing tutus. Tutus. And yes, you heard me right, ice skates. And they weren't just on ice skates. They were like doing circles. They got up on one foot and skated a <laughs> skating rink. Uh, there's nothing like a Russian <laughs> But that was a very interesting a Christmas very day. Very interesting Christmas day. And then two years ago... <clears throat> And he said, Ricky, for Christmas, let's go downtown Moscow and have lunch. Mm -hmm. Well, the end of December, because New Year's is coming, everybody's out shopping. That was before the quarantine. It's the worst traffic of the year. So we chose where we were going to go for lunch. The traffic was so bad, we drove six hours, six hours for lunch, and got halfway to our destination. I said, that's it. Just pick a place on the road. <laughs> We're going to eat and go home. We spent 10 to 12 hours in the car that day and never got to where we were trying to go. Well, because it's a work day and everyone's in traffic. It's not a holiday, December 25th. Welcome to Moscow. It's just a work day with a lot of traffic. Yeah, you know, Moscow is one of the biggest cities in the world, and it was rated as having the worst traffic on the planet. That has nothing to do with the Christmas story, but it does have to do with our cultural experience of Russia. What do you do with your family for Christmas? Do you have dinner together? What do you eat? Do you eat turkey? Do you eat ham? What's your tradition? Would you please go online and type it? I would love to read your comments, share with other people in our home group. Let's all get online and talk about what we do for Christmas. That would be a lot of fun. Hey, man. And Denise, you know, when I was a kid... At our church, they always gave out candy canes at Christmas. Ours, too. How big was My your, favorite. How big was your they candy? They were this big around. Me, too, Denise. <coughs> about a foot long. And they were about this tall. Oh, I waited every year for that candy. I put mine in the refrigerator. Me, too. And you know what? I would lick once a day. Me, too. Once a day. I would try to make it last the whole year. Oh, I remember us all getting together to get our candy canes. And they put, always put a very old pump organ on the stage. And they'd play that old antique pump organ. And we would sing Christmas carols. But 
Let's go back to the Christmas story. You guys ready? Never ready. Sorry, we're just <laughs> reveling in our memories. My mouth got wet as you were describing that. <laughs> I would like to taste it. <laughs> but in Bethlehem is the Church of the Holy Nativity, and underneath <clears throat> the Church of the Holy Nativity is a cave. And I want to read to you the words of Origen. Are you ready for this? Origen, the great theologian, church historian. Listen to what he wrote. Origen. Origen. These, wow. These are his words. He said that at Bethlehem is the cave where people first saw the light. Jesus was born in that cave in Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we covered this last night, but we're going to review it again. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her, what? First born son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. We saw last night that the word firstborn is a Greek word which means firstborn. You would only use that word if others were later born. And there are entire denominations that can't bear the thought that Mary ever had sex. They try to put her in an unreal category. So they say that all those other children that were named as Jesus' siblings belong to Joseph from a previous marriage. There is no history for that whatsoever. Jesus was the firstborn because there were otherborn. And the otherborn are listed in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and 56, and they are James. And James eventually was converted and became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, wrote the book of James. Jude who is the same Jude who became an apostle and wrote the book of Jude. There was a brother named Simeon. There was a brother named Joseph, of course. That was the father's name. And verse 56 says that there were sisters, plural. So there were at least two sisters. So if you look at this, there were about seven kids at least in this family. But Jesus was the firstborn. And Jesus was the only one supernaturally born. And as I told you when we first started home group this week, if you look at all the members of Jesus' family that are recorded in the Gospels, there are 14 members of Jesus' family recorded in the Scriptures. And what I love about this, Denise, is it tells me that God chooses families. You can really believe for household salvation. God didn't want to just save you. He wants you, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins. He wants the whole thing. This entire family was chosen by God. Denise? Oh, it's powerful for families to serve God together. Amen. Joel? I'm just so glad that Jesus did come to the earth, and he gave us salvation, and he fulfilled the Father's will. It is just amazing. And we should know the Christmas story. So many people celebrate Christmas like it's all about Santa Claus or something. I think that's so diluted when it's really about Jesus' birth. And it's just a precious, precious story. But in Luke 2, 7, it says she wrapped him in swaddling <coughs> clothes. And last night we covered what are swaddling clothes. Everything in this story has purpose, even swaddling clothes. I remember growing up thinking, what are swaddling clothes? But I love to talk about it, that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Just didn't have a clue what that meant. Swaddling clothes describes the bandages 
or strips of material used for wrapping the little legs of a newborn lamb. And when Jesus was born, the cave in which he was born was filled with livestock and shepherds, and likely among them were little lambs and strips of cloth called swaddling clothes used to wrap the little legs of little newborn lambs was available. And when they looked for something to wrap the new baby in, that's what they reached for because that's where they were and that's what was available. And this is really important because it means Jesus in his very first appearance appeared as the Lamb of God. Revelation 13 verse 8 says, Before the foundation of the world, he was chosen to be the Lamb of God. And when Jesus was born, he appeared as a little lamb in that cave. Not only that, John 1.29 tells us when John the Baptist began to preach, he introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was born of the Lamb of God. He died as the Lamb of God. That his appearance in that cave in swaddling clothes was the appearance of a pure newborn lamb. And the Bible says Mary laid him in a manger. Well, my mind always saw a little rickety thing made out of wood filled with hay. Denise, is that what you saw in your mind too? But really the word describes a stone feeding trowel. Stone, it was permanent. It was usually just carved out of the cave. It was in place. And today if you go into that cave in Bethlehem, there is still a first century feeding trowel dating to that time in that cave. Is it the one that Jesus was laid in? Possibly, possibly, maybe not, but possibly. And Jesus was laid in that feeding trowel. And Luke 2, 7 says Jesus was born there because there was no room for them in the inn. And this had nothing to do with their economic status. People who say that Mary and Joseph were poor, they don't know what they're talking about. Joseph was a tecton. He was a highly paid professional. It's translated as the word carpenter. That is such a bad, bad translation. And because of greeting cards and paintings painted in the Middle Ages, which depict Joseph working with a hammer and a saw and nails in a barn, that's what most people think. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. You can't base your faith on greeting cards. <laughs> you can't base your faith on paintings. The reality is he was a highly paid professional. There was no room in the inn because the whole world was in movement. And by the time they got there, all the rooms that were available in any rentable places, they were already occupied. There just was no occupancy. Didn't have a thing to do with money. Had to do with space. But hey, Joseph's wife is about to give birth. Well, if you're going to have a wife giving birth, you look for a place for it to take place. So they found this cave. And the cave would have been filled with travelers, with gypsy-type folks. One early writer says the caves would have been filled with people shooting dice, playing games, animals making lots of noise. And Joseph came into that cave, occupied by travelers, went all the way in the back, found a little place where they could huddle together. And Jesus was born there. And this entire event, theologically, is described in Philippians chapter 2. Let's go there. You guys ready? Oh, this is my favorite text. And most people don't think of it as a Christmas text. It is a Christmas text. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Denise, do you know what? Do you know what, home group? This is called hymnic literature. Paul wasn't just writing a Bible verse. He was quoting the lyrics to a song that they sang in the first century church. This is hymnic literature. These are the words to a song. He's writing about this miracle. It's almost like he says, hey guys, it's like the song that we all sing. And now he begins to quote the words to a song. This is hymnic literature. Who being in the form of God, oh, I wish we could hear the music, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. But notice it says, who being in the form of God is describing Jesus before his manifestation. And the Bible says he was in the form of God, the Greek word morphe. The word morphe describes the exact outward form, which means Jesus in his pre-existence, before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, was not just a symbol of God. He was not just a component of God, but he was God in every way. Jesus is God. As the eternal God in his pre-existence, Jesus possess the outward appearance as well as all the glory and power of God, a presence so strong that no human being could have ever endured his glorious presence. And because of that, God made a decision, are you ready? To reclothe himself. To reclothe himself. That's why Philippians 2, 6 goes on to say, he made himself of no reputation, of no reputation, the Greek word kineo, which means to make empty, to evacuate, to shed, to divest. He literally shed all of that outward appearance. He willfully laid it all aside. And the Bible says he took upon himself the form of a servant. Took upon himself is a translation of the Greek word lambano, which means to seize, to grab hold of, to take to oneself, to grasp, and it lets us know, and this is, this is just mind-boggling to me, the Creator, the Creator, reached into the material world that He created. He took the natural world, He took the material world, and took it upon Himself. He reclothed Himself, wow, in the form of a servant. Mm-hmm. That word servant, the Greek word dolos. The word dolos is the most abject term for a slave in the New Testament, which means God wanted to reach me and you so much, he went from the highest place, the most glorious place, to the very lowest place in comparison to where he had been. He shed all of those outward adornments of glory and power and majesty, reached into the material world, and God Almighty took on himself his own creation. He took upon himself flesh and appeared as a servant. He came simply on assignment, on mission. It's amazing. And the Bible says he was made, listen to those words, was made in the likeness of it. Those words, he was made. Here's the Christmas story. Where was he made? 
he was made in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now, honey, think about this. I don't want to hear your thoughts on this. God so subjected himself to his creation that God took up residency in a woman and God was made in the womb of a woman. Think of the humility that required for God to enter the human race. Um, he to totally took on our identity so that he could identify with us. Hebrews chapter 4, four. Four, 15 and 16 says that, that he was not a high priest that could not be touched, but was one that could be touched with our infirmities and our weaknesses and was even tempted in every single possible way. Any man or woman can be tempted today. He was tempted, and he did it so he could identify with us. And he, Hebrews chapter 2 says that he did it so he could help us. Help us in our affliction. Help us in our temptation. And, and Rick, it's just mind-boggling, really, that he would put himself in the Virgin Mary and it, Take is, on flesh. it means that God had dirty diapers. It means that God breastfed. Look at the humility for him to enter the human race, to be like us, to identify with us, to understand us, to die for us, to redeem us. I mean, the humility of God. And I think about people who say, well, I'm not going to stoop to that. Oh, I'm not going to stoop to that. No one ever stooped further than God. God was willing to lay it all aside to reach somebody else. And when I think about the Christmas story, I also think that sometimes we need to lay some things down to reach somebody else. We can lay our pride aside. We can stoop a lot lower to help somebody else. And if we're too high and mighty to stoop, then we're too high and mighty. That's why Philippians 2 verse 5 says we need to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. That's how this whole text begins. Just like God stooped to reach us, we need to stoop to reach each other. But there's something else really important here. You ready? Can I share sure. one sure. thing? Because this all reminds me of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That was the whole thing. God so loved us that he came. And in Philippians 2.8, it goes on to say, <clears throat> listen to this one, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But you see the word fashion? And being found in fashion. Everybody say fashion. 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 The Greek word schema. What does that mean? Hold on, because this is so powerful. Oh, the Bible is so wonderful. Let's pray for a revival of the Bible in people's lives. Yes. Lord, we ask you for a revival of the Bible. Just let it burn and come alive in people's hearts. This word fashion, the Greek word schema, listen to this. It was used in ancient literature in this way. There was a king, a real king. Of course, when you're a king and you're glorious, and you're famous, and you're powerful, you can't just get out and walk freely among people. That's why the Queen of England and monarchs all over the world live in massive palaces. 
It's not just because they lavish riches on themselves. Where else are they going to go? They can't go anywhere else. You think the Queen of England is going to go down to the mall and go shopping? She'd be mobbed. She doesn't have that ability. She is a prisoner in her palace. People don't think about that. But when I go to St. Petersburg and I see the palaces of the czars, it's not just that they wanted to lavish themselves with riches. Where else were they going to go? They're trapped in their palace. And in the ancient world, there was a king who was trapped in his palace. And he would lean against the window ceiling and would look out his palace window down to the streets. People walking on the streets. He wanted to leave the palace. He wanted to get down on the streets. His dream was to walk among his subjects, to know his people in his kingdom, but he could not because he was the king. So one night during the night, he made a decision. I'm going to secretly take off these clothes. I'm going to lay aside my crown. And I'm going to disguise myself. I'm going to change my fashion. That's where this word fashion comes from, the word schema. I'm going to put on the clothes of normal people. And with my new disguise, I'm going to slip out of my palace onto the streets and walk among my people so I can experience my people. That is the word which the Apostle Paul uses here. Which means God wanted to be with his creation so much, God laid aside his crown, laid aside his glory, changed his fashion, took upon himself the form of a servant, changed his fashion, and Jesus looked so much like everybody else that John 1.11 says he came unto his own. They didn't know him. They didn't even know him. They didn't even know him. This is the true life story of a king that changed his clothes to walk among his subjects. Jesus took on flesh, was formed in the womb of the birth. He was made. That's what the verse says, was made. Isn't that amazing? He was made in the likeness of men. There's not a thing Jesus does not understand about you. He walked in the flesh. He dealt with every temptation you've ever faced. That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, verse 15, verse 16. And that's why Hebrews 4, 16 says we can come boldly to the throne of grace for help. Because if anybody understands, it's Jesus himself. He walked in the flesh. This is the story of our king who made a great exchange. He took on human flesh, was made in the likeness of man and was born. The RIV translates it like this. Can you imagine it? Jesus humbled himself to such a lowly position and became so obedient that he even stooped so low that he was willing to die the death of a cross. This Christmas, why don't you think about somebody that you need to reach? Who can you stoop down to, to minister to? Maybe it's time for you to lay aside your pride and stoop to somebody else who really needs to be touched. They need you. They need you. And the Bible says we're to have the same mind which was in Christ Jesus. That's what this is talking about. But we're out of time. But tomorrow night, 
we're going to return to Luke chapter 2 and we're going to see who are the shepherds. Denise tried to talk about that last night. But tomorrow night we're going to see who exactly were those shepherds that showed up the night that Jesus was born. Have a good night's sleep. Remember, if you need prayer, we're here for you. Just write to us, prayer at renner.org, or call us 1-800-742-5593. We'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.